Oh, come on, man. You can do better than that. How's everybody feeling this afternoon? Yes. Amen and amen. Oh, man, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Um, man, it's, today is an awesome day. Thank you guys for joining us this afternoon. If this is your first time here, uh, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come worship with us. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, you guys are already standing. Awesome. All right. Uh, before we start our service, uh, we have someone to come up and share a testimony. And I'm going to have my wife, Jerry, to come up and share something that God has been doing in her life. Ladies. Yes, give, it a, give her a warm welcome as she comes to share. Okay, well, many of you know, or maybe some of you don't, but I, um, my brother passed away about three weeks ago from liver cancer. And um, it was really great. The family of God just came together and I was able to fly there and see him in his last days. And, um, but the backstory is that my brother had cancer once before and it was a different cancer and he overcame it and it was awesome. And we had three more years with him before God ultimately took him. And I wish I could show you this picture of him before he went in for the surgery and he knew going into it, he may or may not live through this surgery. And we were praying for the best. I mean, he was wearing his, his shirt with the lion of the tribe of Judah. He went in there with faith, like, God, you're gonna do this, let's do this together. And even though the surgery wasn't a success, he knew that he was right with Jesus. He knew that his faith was in Jesus, it was founded in Jesus, and it gave us as a family hope, a peace that passes all understanding. And as hard as it has been to deal with the loss and how much I love my brother, and if you met him, you would say, wow, he is quite the amazing guy. But I saw God's hand through it. We got to all be there. I mean. I had a brother who flew in from Singapore. I had a brother who came back from Alaska. I came from Chicago and we were all there. And we just saw how God's hand totally was with us and, and how my brother had moved from Vegas to go to Phoenix so we could all be together in his last days. And the hope is this, that no matter what happens in our life, no matter if he, if he won the battle with, with cancer and lived, or he dies and, be, and is now with Jesus, God healed him. God healed him because now he is with Christ. He is a new creation. He has a new body. And I am so happy to see him. He is no longer in pain. He is no longer in suffering. And the only thing that got me through that time and through this, through this time is the peace of God, the love of God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, who is our comfort. And so I want us to just think about those things. Maybe you have lost someone. Maybe you've lost things in your life. Maybe there are things in your life you feel like you can't face. Just know that you can trust God in all those details. You can lean on the one when your strength has failed you, when the comfort doesn't feel like it's there. I can go to Jesus and I can say, Lord, help me. And he's there. And so this is my prayer for you. And that's in Romans 15, 13. And it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what will get you through. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? 
Father God, you are so good. You are so wonderful. You are our comfort. You are our peace. You are our King of kings and Lord of lords, God. And when we face things that we don't know how we're going to get through the day, Lord, you always make a way and we can give all our worries and burdens to you. And you give us peace and joy in the trial, in the tribulations. And we thank you, God, for being exactly who you are. And we just pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.
too short to say. His love is deep, his love is wide, yet it covers us. His love is fierce, his love is strong, yet it's furious. His love is sweet, his love is wild, yet it's waking up to life. If you believe it, sing it with me this morning. His love is deep, his love is wild, yet it covers us. His love is fierce, his love is strong, yet it's furious. His love is sweet, his love is wild, and it's waking It's so funny sometimes we think of God as not being able to break us of our sin. We think our sin is just so, so big. You got to understand Jesus died on the cross for the sins that were committed, that will be committed. He's, He's offering himself as a priest consistently for you. His presence is here. His presence is waiting. His presence is, is reaching out his arms for you. All it takes is that moment. All it takes is that belief. All it takes is that faith and say, God, I believe you save. Your love, your love, 
Come on, let's just worship the Lord right now. Come have your way, oh God. Jesus, we need your love. Jesus, we need your
you, Jesus. We worship you in this place today, oh God. How many of you guys know that we serve a God that's never going to let us down? Come on, lift up your hands all across this place. We're going to declare it because we serve a God that will never let us down in any season of our life. The God who created the universe, the God that breathed life into us, the God who can take the mountain that you're facing and throw it into the hardest sea, that God will never let you down. And I want you to testify about that today, church. The Bible says in Revelation that we overcome him. The devil, the enemy, Satan, the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So some of you guys today in your life are facing defeat because you got to learn how to testify. You're not overcoming certain areas of your life because you're not speaking life into them. The Bible also teaches us that the power of life and death is in our tongue. Are you speaking life or are you speaking death? And testifying about the goodness of God is one of the most excellent ways of speaking life into your situation. So I want a few of you guys to come and line up here at the front who want to grab this mic on the stage and testify about God's goodness. You can line up to my right over here, maybe three or four. And we're going to spend some time testifying about God's goodness in our life. And when they begin to testify, I want you guys to come into agreement because we're going to exalt his name together. We're going to come into agreement with our brothers and sisters that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise God. I just, I just want to testify about, just real quick, when I came to the Lord, I was, man, I was a broken mess. I was a, man, my motherhood skills were horrible. Like, I thought I knew it all about being a mom, and it was just all wrong. And um, throughout the last five years, God has truly shown me and walked with me as the father to the fatherless with my children and taught me in different ways how to love them, how to hug them, how to speak to them, how to just cherish them as children the way he sees them and not the way I see them. And right now I'm going through a real difficult time with my little boy. I mean, this boy is, is and I'm going to say this, you know, just with knowing that God is going to change it. I'm going to overcome this time. But my little boy hits me. He he hits me, he pounds at me, he chokes me, he does all these things to me. He's seven years old. He's so little and he's so precious. And I know that when God sees him, he sees a sweet little boy. And those are the eyes that I want to see my little boy with. And I'm testifying today that God will pull me through this, that he will help me overcome the situation. And my son will be a man of God. Hallelujah. Come on, he's good. He is good today. Come on, shout it out. I just want to testify of the goodness of God because in our city, young people are killing each other. But here at MPI, we have Elevate and we have people on fire for young people on fire for God who are reaching out to other people, preaching the gospel, bringing the kingdom of God to earth from heaven to earth. The young people in Chicago. So although we have bad news out there, God is still moving in the city of Chicago and there is hope for our city. God is good. Let's sing it out. Come on. He is good over Chicago. You are good.
I came to the church two years ago, but lately I had this struggle where I was backslidden. I did all these sins, but when I came back, I came tenfold. I came when devil put me down, but God said, you are a son of my, you're a son of Jesus Christ. So when I came back, he said, the evangelist team is for you. He said that right then and there. So ever since then, I've been tenfold. I've been, um, so I've been just involving myself in the church. I've been going Mondays, Saturdays, Vivids. I've been, I've been doing all. Praise God. Come on, he saves. Come on, he loves the backslider. Bring them all back, Jesus. Uh, so I, I just want to testify about when I came to the Lord. I was, uh, I remember I, I, I'd been in Elevate, which was our youth group for about two years. And, uh, you know, I was constantly seeking the Lord, but I didn't know how to find him. And I didn't know what was going on in my life. I was like many teenagers, you know, at 18, they had no direction, no purpose. And, uh, you know, you feel like you're lost. And I remember just saying, I want to give everything to the Lord. You know, I want to just follow him, man. I don't care about anything else, you know. And it reminded me of that song, you know, following Jesus, no turning back. And that's exactly what I did. And I, I'm just here to declare that God is good. He gave me a purpose. He gave me a plan. And he gave me a life to live. So praise the Lord. Yes, you are Hello. This is uh, very personal for me. We all have uh, family members that we want to see them. <clears throat> we want to see them saved, but don't give up. Keep praying. I pray for my family. I pray for my, my oldest son. I pray for my daughter. And I just kept praying and praying. And God, God just worked in my heart, worked in my son's heart. He's, he came to live with me and my family. He lived in Kenosha with his mom. He found God. And that makes me so happy. So, if I feel happy, how much happier is he when we come to him, you know? So just don't give up on your family members. Keep praying for them, and they will find God. So just keep them in prayer. Don't give up. And thank you, God. Uh, thank you, God, for what you're doing in my son's life. Come on, he's so good. how good God is. 
Um, me personally, um, I was dealing with a lot of like insecurities for the past few months. Um, it was very hard for me to trust. And, um, and a lot of people were trying to explain to me that like when you don't trust the people like your husband, you know, with the littlest things, you know, with leading, with, I was a single mom for a long time. And then, so it was hard for me to trust him with leading the family, you know what I'm saying? Like my children and stuff like that. And um, I just realized that like not trusting him, I was messing everything up, like for the both of us. You know, I was messing him up. Like, you know, he was being strong in the Lord, but I would, you know, tear him down. And um, so, you know, I realized that it, it was all me, like not trusting him and not trusting the Lord through him or with him, you, you know, using him to lead us. And so, um, you know, and I and we were in the process of like getting a house and I was I was so doubtful, like it's a scam, babe, they're out to get us. Like they just want our money, like <laughs> with everything, like, you know. And so um, I went to sleep one night and I, you know, I just have all this stuff in my head and, and I just, I can barely sleep because I'm constantly thinking of everything. And, and as I slept, um, I had a dream. It was so realistic and I was just wrapped in these arms. And while in these arms, everything, every doubt, every fear, every insecurity, every, everything I've ever had negative, like wiped away was being washed away like just literally falling down guys and I'm talking about the most peaceful dream I have ever had in my life and then I go to look up I go to look up at this person and I can't see a face and immediately I'm like it's the Lord like Des this is the Lord's arms and I was like oh my gosh I feel so peaceful I have like no care in the world like, I don't, like, I'm just like, God, and I was telling him, I'm like, God, I trust you. Wow, I couldn't I get this a long time ago? I trust you with everything, with all of me. Like, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be okay, that my children are going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. Like, the world's going to be okay. Like, no doubt. And then I look up again at this person, and it's my husband. And I was like, mind blown. So you're showing me that I can trust him and you. You're both mixed together. It's my husband. Baby, I love you. I'm so sorry for everything I've done. I know I told you, but I'm telling you again publicly, you are the most amazing thing that's ever happened to my life. Hey guys, I want to tell you something that's been going on with me for the last two months. It's a little hard, I'll be honest. In the last two months, I started to remember all these painful memories of abuse, of neglect, of loneliness. I was alone in a world who didn't care about me. My own parents could not pay attention or even remember anything I even liked or did in my life. I had no family. My own grandmother abused me since I was four years old. Even younger than that, she abused me. And it was not just her adults, random adults in the church. 
and outside the church abused me. I had no hope, no faith in this world. I tried to kill myself twice. Neither of those signs succeeded. And all this time, I saw the darkness. But in these last few months, the Lord came to me. I'm here with you. I've always been here with you. And then I see in the past. I saw those times I tried to kill myself. The Lord stopped me right there. He saved my life twice. When I fall now, I'm not alone. He grabs my hand. When I'm crying the floor, he takes my tears away and tells me, I'm here for you, my son. I've always been with you, my son. And I always will be with you, my Lord. When I could not smile at all these things, now I laugh with great joy, glorifying his name. Because now I know, no matter what the devil does, and he does things every day this last few months, just to keep me down, I just laugh. Because I know there's joy in my Father. And I want you to know, no matter what the devil comes at you, there is joy in his name. You are good, you're good, oh, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, yes, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, God, you are so good in this place. Woo, we worship you, Jesus. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise that is due your name. There is freedom in this room, guys. There is so much freedom. There is so much love at the foot of the cross. He is in control of your life. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We bless your name. We love you, Jesus. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! Oh, we testify about your goodness, oh God. Hallelujah. You guys can make, you guys can find your seat. God is so good. We went a little overtime on the testimonies, but we needed it. Right, second service? Come on, we needed that today. I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. We, want, we like to preach the gospel message, the simple message that Jesus saves every single week. So every new person, every first-time visitor, every person that comes week after week and is not right with God, they could hear it plainly and simply and be given the opportunity to respond. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. People who live a life of sin, a life that is contrary to the word of God, a life that goes against the commands of God to live holy like he is holy. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. You must allow Jesus, the blood of Jesus, to wash you clean. And he knocks at the door of your heart, the Bible says. And if you open it, he'll come in. And so many people keep the door of their heart shut, closed off to Jesus. 
because either they think they have enough time or they'll get to it tomorrow or they feel like they got to make themselves perfect and go home and fix everything and tidy up before Jesus can come inside. But my friends, you don't understand. Jesus doesn't want you to just clean and dust a little bit before he comes in. He wants you to let him in while everything is dirty so he can renovate the whole thing. Come on, some of you guys need to just let that door get bust wide open and say, Jesus, take over. I'm sick of doing it my way. So with all eyes closed all across this room, if you are not right with God, if you're living a life of sexual immorality, greed, adultery, drunkenness, there's sin in your life and you're not right with God, today is a day to surrender. So as I begin to pray for you, I just want you to come into agreement with my prayer and give your life to Jesus. And in just a few moments, we're going to have altar workers up here who will be ready to pray with you. Lord, I thank you for every single person that is here at the sound of my voice. As this message gets preached week after week, oh God, we know that your word does not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And God, I pray that your word comes back with souls saved. We want to see salvation. We want to see conviction, oh God over people turning from their sin. I pray that today they would humble themselves. Today they would get right. Today they would declare you as Lord and Savior of their life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word. Praise God. If you mean business with Jesus and you really want to get right with God, you want to get plugged into the church, start discipleship, we have awesome prayer workers right here for you, Humberto and Kirsten. They'll be ready and waiting to pray with you and encourage you to get plugged in and be all that God has called you to be and do all that God has called you to do. Amen? We're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. So if you guys are with me, let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal believer, reward of believers in Jesus punishment of all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Spend some time greeting people. Give somebody a hug or a handshake.
Welcome second service to MPI. Who's excited they came to church today? Yeah, we're so excited you guys came. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Our service is here every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week for our students 11 to 18 years old. So if you know of any teenagers, you want them to be here on Friday nights. So the, uh, the last Sunday of this month is our last outreach for the soul winning summer, God's presence and his presence, October 30th, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Keep inviting your friends and family. We want to close it out with a bang. It's going to be a powerful service of preaching and mixing with prayer and worship, going after God for healing and deliverance. So you want the lost to be here. We want them to get saved and set free. So let's keep that service in prayer. MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Vision of loving God and loving people. Strategy to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to our to the church through our life groups. Mentor you through the 101 and 201 book. Then we want to send you out to keep preaching the gospel to the lost so that all might hear and know. Then we want to have, then by doing that, we have a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a Hallelujah. All right, so look to your neighbor say, it's time to get connected. If you turn your hand out around, you'll see the schedule for this quarter, October, November, and December. That's the quarter, the schedule of life groups. Find a place to belong, to call your home. This is a snapshot of what's happening this week. Kicking it off today, we have our single moms meeting here at the church at 530. Give it up for our single mamas. Come on. Child care is always provided for them. Then on Wednesday, we have our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old, 630 here at the church, the best children's workers on the planet. You guys want your kids to be involved in these programs. Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club, guys doing awesome things. This place is blowing up on Wednesday nights. Thursday, we have our gang outreach, hitting the streets, 18 years and up. If you want to join them, meet here at the church at 7. Two adult Bible studies every Friday, one at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Go there, get refreshed in the word of God and in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then Saturday, the ambassadors, come on, they had a lot of people representing in first service, 11 to 18 years old, 1 p.m. here at the church. That's our Elevate Life Group. God's doing awesome things in their life. Who's ready to get mentored after that? Come on, get mentored. Join the 101. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. Whether you've been saved for one day, whether you've been saved for 10 years, if you're new to Metro Praise, we want you to go through this book. Receive from the leaders here. Be encouraged to fulfill God's call in your life through discipleship. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader in the church so you could be a deacon or an elder one day to be ordained as that, and you could accomplish God's purpose for your life. And as you do that, we want to send you out to do evangelism every Saturday from 5 to 8, hitting the streets, preaching the gospel in the streets of Chicago to complete strangers. Why? Because Jesus said, go. Look to your neighbor, say, go. Look to your other neighbor, say, just do it. We got to go, guys. We got to preach the gospel. If you've never done it, I would encourage you to do it. It will refresh your life. The Bible says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. How many of you guys have hope in Jesus in this world? Be ready to answer why you have that to a world that has hopelessness and despair. We have to give the answer of the hope that, of the, of the hope that we have in Jesus. And street witnessing is the best way to do that. So we want to encourage you guys to get out there and be soldiers for the Lord. So to recap, MPI has a vision, loving God, loving people, strategy to connect, mentor, send, a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let's say do it. Come on. You guys excited to give your tithes and offerings today? 
tithe is 10% of your total income given to the church regularly and faithfully. An offering is above the tithe, an amount after the tithe that God puts on your heart to give, and God wants us to give with a cheerful heart. Our lesson today is Stewards Are Generous. You can find the link on our Facebook page, Metro Praise International Facebook page. This section is all about stewardships. Stewardship. Stewards are generous. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 2, 44 through 45. Are you guys with me? Let's do this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Isn't that awesome? Whoever had need, they got their needs met because there was blessed and prosperous people around to give them what they needed. Come on, how many blessed and prosperous people do I have in here? Here are the three main points. Number one, all believers were together. The book of Acts describes the ideal church in which all present churches should aspire to. The first church set the prime example of perfect unity in the cause of Jesus Christ. We should all be unified. The church of Jesus on the planet should be unified for the cause of Christ. Number two, sold property and possessions. Notice how the disciples first had to own things such as valuable possessions and extra houses to even be able to sell them to give as offerings. Therefore, there were, not all, there were not all poor and struggling among them. Many were prosperous enough to give generously to God's people. So not everybody around us is struggling. There's blessed and prosperous people who have more than enough to meet their needs and the needs of their neighbor. And that's the church of Jesus on the planet. That is Jesus' hands and feet in action. Let's meet the needs of the poor and needy. And number three, gave to anyone who had need. The needs of those in the church were met by those who could afford to give generously. Therefore, if everyone is poor, everyone will stay poor. However, if people prosper, they can help the needy to be poor no more. So the goal is not to just keep giving handouts to the same person. It's teaching that person, hey, you go be prosperous. You go be successful now so that we can keep reaching the city, reaching all the cities of America, reaching the world for Jesus. So we give them hands up, not hands out all the time. That will be blessed and prosperous to continue to further God's kingdom on the earth. So in summary, pray that God will prosper you so you can be generous and help others in need. And you apply this to your life in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Number two, work hard and use wisdom to gain worldly wealth so you can be generous in giving to missions, drug rehabs, community programs, orphanages, and the like. And that's what's awesome about Metro Praise, that when you give through the missions fund, it goes to all these other places as well that we're able to support as a church here in Chicago. And number three, once you are prosperous, having enough to meet your needs and able to give generously, teach others how to be prosperous. For it is always better to give a hand up than just a hand out. How many of you guys like that part? Isn't that good? Let's confess this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Stand up to your feet with me, please, as we prepare to give the Lord our best, our tithes and offerings. Tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. Offering is above the tithe, which we designate towards missions and building fund. Please be very specific on the envelope of the amount that you want to get allocated towards each category. Four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. 
Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. Number four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. So many fun and easy ways to do it. Let's recite this together. Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much that you showed us by example what it means and looks like to be generous. We want to be a generous people. God, bless and prosperous so that we can meet our needs and the needs of those around us, oh God, in the church, so that we can be your hands and feet on this earth. I pray that you bless and prosper your people. Give them favor on their job. I ask, oh Lord, that we would meet the needs of this city, all the cities of America, and to the ends of the earth, God, with your gospel, with your love, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, how many ready to get into the Word? Okay, open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1, verse 1. Good to see everybody here. How many are enjoying the nice fall weather? Amen. It's not going to be summer anymore, so you just got to take it when you get it now, right? If the sun is out, good day. Good day. If it's not raining, cold, snowing, from this point on, good day. Now, some of us like rainy days to stay in, snow days to go out and do some uh, snowboarding or something. But I'll tell you what, I love this kind of weather because I could do out, act, out, outdoor activities, not sweat a lot, and just keep having some fun. Now, I see a lot of you, you got your hoodies on, you got your jeans on. I still got my chonklas on and my cargo shorts. I did put on a long sleeve shirt today. I did, I did do that. It's as light as possible, but I did put it on. I was going to put on the cargo pants, but I was like, nah, I can get away with shorts for a few more days. And then it was almost like, man, I'll just wear shoes. And I'm like, no. And by, by the way, I was sweating in the first service, so I'm so glad I'm casual and comfortable. How many like coming casual and comfortable to church? You like that? Now, at any time, you want to wear a three-piece suit? That's on you. We welcome you. We're not going to say you can't come. You know, like as if it's the opposite. Because back in the day, it was like, you're not dressed up. You shouldn't be at church. And then now it may be like, you're too dressed up. You don't belong here. You go down to that church down the road with that suit on, mister. 
You you don't bring that blouse here, ladies. No, but you could come as dressed up as you want. You could come in a blouse, a dress. You you could come in your quinceanera dress, quinceanera dress if you want. You could come however you want. But I want to tell you guys, I am so excited about this new sermon series. It is going to be amazing. I want you to invite your friends because it's going to be a great time to uh, bring new people to the church because there's so much that you can learn during this time. So go to the book of John. Go to chapter 1. And I asked you guys last week to do a little homework for me and to uh, look at John chapter 1, at least start reading the book of John. Did anybody start reading the book of John this week? If you did, can I see a hand raise? Anybody? One or two of you? Okay. How many of you have ever read the book of John in your whole life? You've read it? Okay, so you're going to understand some of this. If you haven't, it's going to be great because we love having new people here and some of those testimonies. Well, matter of fact, all of those testimonies were awesome, but some of them just remind you of how powerful it is to keep preaching and praying, and I love that, David, that you did that. And if, if I have your permission, can I put that online because I know that was touching and personal but could I do that because I think that would really touch other parents man I, I pulled out one from the first service I got Adam Anthony's testimony already online it's being viewed right now and and just your brokenness with that I feel my dad was the same way as he prayed for me to come and know the Lord that, that's the heart of a parent and I was even looking at some of my girls that were right here and I'm just like that's that's all that I want for them because from that everything's uphill amen literally if you don't have Jesus everything is downhill everything is going down that way and you don't want to do it uh, so I want you guys to read now the book of John this week start in chapter 1 and start reading on those of you who did not do it this week do it now because I want you to do it for the week ahead because this is what our sermon series is going to be like it's on the gospel of John and I had a choice do I go through every verse and chapter and go through the whole book if I would have done that it would take us about probably a year and a half to two years, right? It would take us a long time. And how many believe believe me when I say it would take a long time? Literally today in the first service, almost 45 minutes was spent on the first verse. 45 minutes on the first verse. And I, I will preach it very similar to how I did in the first service. And you tell me if it gets boring or repetitive. But it will be new information. And I'll be talking fast as I can because I was talking really, really fast. And literally I looked up and it was like 45 after. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't even got to the other verses yet. But it was still a powerful service. So here, here was my choice as I was praying and, and the Lord and I were just you know sharing this I, I like to communicate with the Lord and I think the Lord gives us a lot of that free choice and free will and talking to him and, and of course we're going to go on what he trumps and tells us to do but you know like God doesn't tell you what clothes to wear in the morning he lets you do that right and it's the same thing as a pastor he, he lets me like, like Jesus comes to me and says what what do you want to share and I say Jesus I want to share this and I go what is most important what do you want to share and, and the Lord and I kind of communicate like that you know like I tell the Lord, this is what's on my heart. This is what I'm seeing. And then the Lord tells me what's on her, his heart, and then he tells me how to do it. Okay, does that, does that make sense as a pastor, what I do with the Lord? He's my boss, okay? And so I was just sharing with the Lord that, I, uh, that this is important, and the Lord was obviously confirming that this book's important. But then I really felt the Lord tell me that if we would take this on for a year and a half, two years, that I think some of us would get lost in the book. And I do that in Bible college. I take on books, but I do that where I have more time in one setting. Because a year and a half, two years, and one book, I think you'll miss a lot of the context of it. For example, you can put on the book of John right now in an audio Bible and probably listen to it on your way home and be done within an hour.
hour or so, okay? So I, I like to keep books in the concise manner, uh, the sermon series in the concise manner that they were meant to be done in. So then I just felt the Lord share with me to go over the first chapter for a couple of weeks because that's really what makes John unique and then hit on the seven signs that John talks about to point to Jesus and that will bring us right to the end of the year. So we have October as a as an interruption to the sermon series will be God's presence and presence. And that's going to be awesome. Then in November, we're going to do a, a like an illustrated sermon. That's going to be awesome. Then in December, we got two very special services going on. One, we're going to have our talent show like we always do. We'll be blowing up both services. We set records that day. It's going to be great. But then has anybody else noticed what day Christmas is on? It's on a Sunday. And I hope you're coming to church to celebrate Jesus' birthday on Sunday, right? Because that would be really weird. It would be like, like imagine if I was having a birthday party and you would say, Joe, I want to celebrate your birthday party. But I want to celebrate your birthday and have a party. But not at your house. I want to have it at my house by myself with my friends and family. Now that's weird, right? Because if it was about Jesus, you want to be where Jesus is about, right? So we're going to come to church here on Christmas. I may think going to church on Christmas is a good idea. Now because we all have families and people have a lot of things to do, we are just going to have one service. So put that in your mind, one 10 a.m. service for everybody to show up at. So just that one day we won't have the second service. And all the second service people go, oh. I know, I know, I know. But I think if we just do like this, we'll pack it out, we'll get that family feel, and we'll have a great time, and of course, bring your friends and family. Having said all of that, this is what it's going to look like. Two messages on the chapter 1, chapter 1 of John, seven messages on the seven signs of Jesus. That is nine weeks. You put in there four uh, interruptions, one in October, one in November, two in December. That brings us to the end of the year. Let's get it on. Y'all ready to do it? Okay, so today we're looking at John chapter 1, verse 1. Somebody say, in the beginning. Thank you. In the beginning, we're going to talk about this today. I hope you enjoy it. As uh, always, the notes are online, and today I believe you're going to learn something. I know I have even as studying it for this message, I learned some things. John chapter 1, verses 1 and onward says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Can I get an amen for that? What a powerful scripture reading. Reading the book of John, let's get some uh, background information so we can get caught up in what's going on here. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, most likely wrote this gospel around 85 A.D. to help supplement the other three gospels. Now let me just teach you a little bit about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, former tax collector, who wrote to a Jewish audience about the genealogy of Jesus. That's why it starts with all the so-and-so had so-and-so that had so-and-so. They, they call those the begots, you know, this person begat that person, that begat that person, so and so on. And then he wrote all about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, writing to the Jewish people, wrote 20, 28 chapters from beginning of birth all the way to his, uh, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Mark was an assistant to Peter the disciple, and John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. He skips the genealogy, goes right into the action of Jesus. It's called the Action Gospel. More than 
than likely written for those like in Rome in a place where you'd be hustling and bustling and you needed just the meat of what Jesus' life was like. And Mark took the time to say what Jesus did that was throughout his life that impacted both Roman culture and Jewish culture. Matthew was more towards Ro- uh, um, uh, Jewish culture. Mark was a little bit towards both but could lean more towards the Roman culture, how Jesus impacted the world. And then Luke was the traveling assistant who was a doctor who followed around Paul. And as they were preaching around the gospel, uh, preaching the gospel going around that, the world at that time, he wanted to compile all the stories together that he could get his hands on and then put it out in a historical way. And so even when people don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, they believe that Luke is a historian of the first order, that there is nobody in the ancient world better than Luke. Not, uh, not Pliny from the history of Rome, uh, uh, Plutarch, others. Uh, Luke is one of the best, if not the best historian. And so he wrote his more as a detailed account of, of most of the same things that Mark and Matthew wrote about. Now, theologians, when we look at these, we call these the synoptic gospels because they, they, they come saying the same things. They are in, the, uh, they are in a synergy together. They, they are all together synonymous. And so we call them the synoptic gospels. They were all written around the same time period. Now, what's unique about John is John is written probably 20 to 30 years later. And you got to remember, John as the disciple was the youngest and he lived the longest, okay? He also wrote the last book of our Bible known as Revelation while he's on the isle, uh, the island of Patmos. He was exiled there for preaching the gospel. They tried to kill him by boiling him alive. He didn't die. God spared him. And then they exiled him to an island. He sees the revelation of Christ. That happens later in his life. But sometime between that point of him getting exiled and, and the time of these uh, disciples writing theirs, John says, hold on, before I die, I got to make sure you all know these other things because 90%, everybody say 90%. Thank you. 90% of the gospel of John is unique to all the other gospel. That means he only hits on about 10% of what the synoptic gospels has. He is not synonymously saying the same things. He is filling in the parts of the story that we have not heard before. And what's amazing about John is what you see right what we read there. In John chapter 1 verse 1, he doesn't start like Matthew and Luke do with the genealogy. He doesn't start like Mark does with Jesus preaching. He starts in the beginning. He takes you all the way back to that same language of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He says the one that I'm talking about, he starts there. He starts at the time where there was no time. He's from eternity past. And so you can just imagine you're picking up John's gospel and you're probably thinking to yourself as a Christian at that time, I've already heard the story. I know about the star of Bethlehem. I understand that this was from the Virgin Mary given, you know, by the Holy Spirit. She was impregnated. You know, the angel gave and you're picking this up thinking you've heard this at least three other times and all of a sudden bam in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God at this point you are now realizing you're talking about something that's greater than you've ever heard before Jesus is more than just a good man see John's gospel is going to show us the God man That is going to be the theme of his gospel. And he tells us his theme because he does it in seven signs. Jesus does seven miracles that he'll point to as the author and say, this is what Jesus did to show us who he was. And then at the end of John's gospel, in in John chapter 20, he said, I have written these things so that you may believe, that you may believe in the Son of God. And remember that famous uh, verse, John 3, 16, about God so loving the world that he sent his Son. All of this is tying together to show us how amazing the Son of God really is 
from start to finish and in between. And so what you have to do when you come to the Gospel of John is you start with that very beginning passage, that passage we just read, and we see that it's probably, in my opinion it is, the most fascinating description of God ever seen in the Bible. I think John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 is more fascinating than Isaiah 6 where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and the six-winged creatures around him worshiping him. I think this is more fascinating than the, than the pictures that John eventually gets in Revelation of the one on the throne with the lamb next to him and the Holy Spirit flowing like a river. I think this is more fascinating than Ezekiel's vision of the one coming in the chariot of, with the wheels within a wheel and, and meeting with him there alongside the river. Because what we now see here in John chapter 1 that's fascinating is that the Word has the same divinity as the Father. And that the Word is equal to the Father, yet He is not the Father. And so you cannot read the Gospel of John and get Jesus confused with a prophet or a good man. Some religions want to teach that Jesus was a good man. Like Buddhists, they want to say that Jesus was just another enlightened one. Hindus, He's another avatar. He's another incarnation of Krishna. Muslims, He's another Razul. He's another prophet. But John 1.1 does not allow you to say anything less about Jesus than Jesus is God. Jesus is is God. And so when you come to the book of John, you better be ready to encounter the God-man, the God who became man and walked among us, put his tent alongside of us, and lived with us. Now the cross may be the center of John's gospel like every other gospel, but it's the introduction of John, the passage that we just read, that gives the foundation of the importance of the cross. God took on flesh and entered his own creation to reveal the grace of God. Do you understand that? You see, somebody can die for a good cause and still not be the God-man. You have Braveheart dying for a good cause. He's not the God-man. You have people going to war, fighting and laying down their lives for their fellow soldiers, not the God-man. John wants you to understand that he is God himself. So when you get to John 3.16 and God is sending the Son, the Son is God coming in the flesh. And when you get to the crucifixion, it's them crucifying God in the flesh. And when he's resurrecting, it's God in the flesh. And when he's ascending to heaven, it's God in the flesh. And when he says he's coming back, it's God in the the flesh. And what's amazing about this, because we hear a lot about the Father and the Son, the Father and the Son, is it's in the Gospel of John, uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16, that you hear the most about the Holy Spirit. There are no other parts of the Bible that talk more about the Holy Spirit than in the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 give us the intimate relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all have together. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not Casper the ghost. He is known by the, by the masculine pronoun of he, and he is equal to the Father and Son, and he's sent by them to indwell the believers and to bring the presence of God where the believer is. That's why Jesus can say, I go away, and it's good that I go away, because if I go, then I send the comforter, and where he is, there I'll be with my Father, and we'll make our home with you. God is with all of us through the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Now let's go through this verse and to understand uh, this passage, and let's start with verse 1. And the first part about verse 1, the first thing you need to know is that there's three sections of verse 1. This is what I was telling you before, that it takes some time to go through. You have three sections. In the beginning was the Word. That's the first section. And the Word was with God. That's the second section. And the Word was God. That's the, the third section. Is everybody following me there? Okay, now follow along with these notes. If you can, take notes as well, and it will be online. John 1.1, that first 
verse that has three sections establishes that the Word is uncreated, was in relationship with God the Father before time began, and is fully divine and equal to the Father in His nature. Let's look at these three parts of that first verse. In the beginning was the Word. Let's say it together. One, two, three. In the beginning was the Word. One more time. In the beginning was the Word. Now think about this. John purposely linked the Word's involvement with all creation in Genesis 1.1. Because in Genesis 1-1, the first verse of your Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that amazing? John takes you to the very beginning of the Bible. The very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible says, In the beginning God. And John says, In the beginning word. You right now, you've got something on your mind right now. You've got to start looking at the Word in a different way, don't you? This is not a created thing. This is not a prophet thing. This is not just a human thing. We're talking about God Himself here. And you're going to see the mystery of the Trinity revealed. You're going to see God's nature revealed here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, according to Genesis 1.1. So before the heavens and the earth, John is teaching us, before they were created, there was only one triune God existing in three persons, not one person, not a plethora of gods, one God existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, to see that here in the beginning there was a plurality of people. A plurality of people. Look at Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let, come on, somebody say, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Wow, right here at the very beginning. We see the plurality of God. Now, see, you have to understand, those who are Jewish right now by religion and have not accepted Christ as their uh, Messiah have the same argument that Muslims have, and they believe that God has only been one person, one person throughout all of history. And yet we say to the Muslim who recognizes Genesis and to the Jewish person who has not recognized Jesus as God in the flesh, where is one person here set in creation? It doesn't say, let me. It says, let us. We see plurality. Now they have to make an excuse for the plurality but not recognizing separate persons. What they say is because the Quran and other ancient documents speak in the majestic plural as a king would say, our kingdom, our palace. And in these ways, they say that God here is speaking in a majestic plural. He knows it's really just him, but he's speaking in a plural way. Now the Muslim may have an argument there because the Quran is written that way. Whenever Allah speaks in the Quran, many times it does use the majestic plural. But why is it different here? Why can I prove that it's different here? First of all, the Old Testament predates the Quran by thousands of years, so it's not to be compared moving forward. If the Quran did this for themselves, it doesn't mean going backwards it applies to the book of Genesis. It would really only apply if their book came before the book of Genesis. So this is not a rule that the Quran gets to set for us. We can tell the Quran what we meant in this passage, or rather what God meant. And let's see if it means God speaking just as the majestic plural or an actuality plurality of persons. Look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them what? Male and female, he created them. When God creates in his image, does he create a singular person or a plural person? Singular or plural? He creates two, male and female. There we see it clearly. 
There we see it clearly. The Bible defines it for us that the plurality is not just a literary device. It is an actual plurality because when he creates in his image, he doesn't create one person. He creates two persons. And then he says to those two people to fill the earth, be fruitful, to create the third person, their child, their children. The plurality of God's nature is seen in the creation of humanity. God created us in his image. He is a complex unity, three in one. And he creates a human race, three in one race, mother, father, child. And so we see by, the own, by our own context here that we now know that there is a plurality of persons. Now, we will give credit to the Jewish person here now that the plurality of persons is not specified until Jesus comes. And that's okay because Jesus himself said that he came to reveal the Father. And the authors of the New Testament are very clear about this, that Jesus is the exegete of the Old Testament. He is the living commentary of what God did in the Old Testament. Another way to see it, say it is like this. The Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. Are you understanding? In the Old Testament, we only saw things in types and shadows, and I'll show some of those things to you. But like you just saw in Genesis 1, 27, there's a plurality. We don't know all the persons, but we see there's a plurality. There's somewhat of a shadow of mystery there. But now when we come to the New Testament, we're given their names. We're given their purpose. We see the roles of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the author of Hebrews teaches us this, that Jesus came to do this very thing, to show us more about God. So let me just hit pause here. If you're thinking to yourself, why is this important to me, Pastor? Teach me more about how to have a blessed marriage. Teach me more about how to make money. You have to understand, we're talking about God. And you got to know how to worship God for who he is. You can't worship God the way you want to because you'll worship him as an idol, a false god. Everything we're learning now should challenge our mind and it broaden our heart. Let your mind be challenged and let your heart be brought in. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Use your mind now. We'll, we'll deal with the heart later in just a little bit. Amen? But look at the author of Hebrews. He says, in the times past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the universe. Who made the universe according to this passage? The Son of God. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. We see here it was the very purpose of Jesus to come to reveal the Father, to send us the Holy Spirit, and to show us who God is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Powerful passage, right? So now you're understanding why this first part is so important. Because before the heavens and earth were created, there was only one triune God existing, three persons. Uh, they were equal as God, but distinct in persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus totally explains to us who is the God we've been worshiping, or rather who the Jews had been worshiping. Look at verse 19 of Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular. Do you see that? Singular, singular name, one name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Jewish people have a prayer that they were taught to pray from the times of Moses. It's called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. They say it in Hebrew. I'll say it in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Everybody say one. How many gods are there? 
One God, one God. The word one there means hot. It means the complex unity of one. God is one. There are not many gods. And when Moses met with God face to face, and remember Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, he wanted to know the exact name of God because up until that time they had been using pagan names to describe God. And that was okay because language is not what the issue. It's who you're worshiping. But at this time, Moses wanted the distinct name of the Israelite God. And he said, who should I tell them has sent me was I go to Pharaoh and I say let my people go who should I say has sent me and now for the first time Moses is revealed the name of God I am that I am and this is where we get the word Yahweh from or Yahweh from rather Yahweh and and Yohevahe is the four initials now Jehovah Witnesses have taken that name and translated it to German to English Jehovah is not the best translation the best translation is Yahweh and we'll get to that in a moment there is one God his name is Yahweh they used to treat that name so sacred that they would take out the vowels and only have the initials y-h-w-h and i'll show that to you in just a moment but now here we see the one name yahweh is the father son and the holy spirit you're baptizing in the name of the god of israel who is the god of israel yahweh and what is the god or who is the god of israel god of israel is the father the son and the holy spirit do you see this does everybody see baptize in the what does it say? In the, no, it baptized them in the name, singular name, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is Yahweh. The Son is Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Are there three Yahwehs? There is only one Yahweh revealed in three persons. So now you see clearly that the plurality mentioned in the Old Testament is now uh, concealed in the Old Testament, is now revealed when Jesus comes. And so if you want to look at a helpful chart, I've made one here for you so that you guys can begin to understand what the Trinity is properly to be understood as. Now, some people falsely make examples of the Trinity, and it becomes heresy, so don't do that. Some people compare the Trinity to water, that water can be steam, ice, and a liquid. This is not a good example of the Trinity because they are not three at the same time. Some people then would say, well, an egg has three parts at the same time. It has a yolk, the white part, the egg white, and then the shell, but they are three separate things at the same time. We are not believing that God takes on modes or is he separate? He is all the time being God and he's not parts. The Father is not a third, the Son a third, or the Holy Spirit are a third. Each one is equally 100% God and yet they're not the same person. The Father is 100% God, but he's not the Son. The Son is 100% God, yet He's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is 100% God, and yet He is not the Father or the Son. Do you understand this chart? God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, you may say, Pastor, how do you teach this to your children? I'll tell you how I teach it to my children, and I'll teach it to you. Okay? I ask them this question. What does the word Trinity mean? And then they'll say back, three and one. Then I say, who is the Trinity? They say, God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These three are one. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, when it comes down to how do three divine beings share the nature and not be separate or uh, be parts, we now say God is not like us. God is beyond us. That doesn't mean this trinity is not true. It doesn't mean that it's confusing. It doesn't mean that it's illogical. Some people have said one plus one plus one equals three. But yes, one times one times one equals one. Okay, so it, it's, it's not playing tricks here. It's being honest to what category we're talking 
talking about. There is one category of God, that which is known as all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent. That category of God, that kind of being, exists in three simultaneous, equal, co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see it concealed in Genesis. We see it revealed in Matthew. Where do we see it practically for all to see? At the baptism of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, is in the water. The Father is speaking from heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes down as a what? As a dove. Let's all stand up and do the Holy Ghost handshake. Sir, would you come up? Come on, let's all stand up. Everybody stand up. I'm going to teach you the Holy Ghost handshake. Come on, stand up. Now grab your partner by the hand and go like this. Father. Come on. Father. Say it like you're up. Father. Son. Holy Ghost. Or Holy Spirit. Come on, do it again. Let's do it in Spanish. Padre. Mijo. Espíritu Santo Fuego. Gloria a Dios. Thank you. Amen. We're just at the first part of the first verse, aren't we? Let's keep going. The word in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. See, now you understand. In the beginning was the word. The next part, and the word was with God. Now here's where you got to follow along. Listen to me. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek here. The Greek word with is very significant here as we begin to counteract some of the heresies and false teachings that have always plagued the church. The Greek word with is pros, and it literally means in the presence of, towards, or before. So you have to understand, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, before God, towards God, face to face with God. John 1.18, the same chapter, a few verses down, clarifies that the Word is actually God the Son, and He's always been at God the Father's side. Don't take my word, let's go to John 1.18. John 1.18 introduces to us who the Word is and who He is facing. John 1, 18, 18 verses later, the cults like Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims, all types of religions never want to take our scriptures in context. You can show them directly in the context of the scripture what we are saying. It proves itself to be true. John 1, 18 says, no one has ever seen God. We'll find that out to be a problem in just a little bit when we realize that God visited Abraham on the plains of Mamre. God showed up with Moses in the burning bush. God met with Gideon. God met with Daniel. We'll have a problem there in just a minute, but track with this because we're not there yet. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself, who? Who is himself God and his closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You see, there we understand now who the Word is. The Word is the Son. Who is the Son facing? The Word is facing God. Who is the God person that He's facing? The Father. He is at whose side? The Father's side. Who is He in closest relationship with? The Father. In the beginning was the Word. We now know the Word is the Son. In the beginning was the Son. And the Son was with God. God who? God the Son Himself? God the Holy Spirit or God the Father? Who is he facing? God the Father. In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with the Father. Have I done any tricks? No, I've just showed you the passage. The passage tells you who the Word is. The passage tells you who God is that he is facing. Now, continue on with this thought, because now you're going to run into a problem in just a few moments. 
This is proof of a relationship that is separate from the Father. The Son is not the Father. And this dismantles the oneness Pentecostal heresy, which, te- which denies the Trinity and teaches that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all the same person, just manifesting in different ways. This is the ancient heresy of Sabellianism. Sabellius was a heretic that lived around the 4th century. He said there's only one person of God, and he puts on different hats or titles or name badges, but he's one person. Let me give you an example, and first let me tell you who Oneness Pentecostals are in our daily life. There are some on Facebook. One is Marcus Rogers. He's a light-skinned African-American. He walks with his phone like this and talks about the end times, and you got to get ready. Jesus is doing this. He is a Sabellianist heretic. He denies the Trinity. He only believes that God is one person. The other one is Josh Ferguson, a heavyset white guy who talks like this. This is Josh Ferguson, and evolution's a lie, and God is real and they sound really preachy they sound really good but they are teaching heresy when it comes to their belief of God and listen to me you can have a lot of things wrong and still go to heaven you have God wrong you're not going to heaven Galatians chapter 1 says if you preach another Jesus other than the Jesus that was preached by Paul you are anathema eternally condemned reading in Galatians chapter 1 verse 9 so we see that's very important to distance ourselves from this false uh, doctrine but now we have to know why this doctrine is wrong you see in this passage we learn clearly and the word was with God the word cannot be the same person he is with that's why the Greek word process is very important the word with means he's facing before towards can you do that with yourself can you face yourself can you have a relationship with yourself no and here's the example that the oneness Pentecostal would say to try to defend themselves. They would say, oh, yes, but the third part says, and the word was God. So if you're saying in the second part there, and the word was with the Father, we now get the win because it says the word was the Father. We're going to describe that third part in just a moment, but that's what they'll say. And then they'll say something like this. They'll say, Joe, aren't you three different roles but one person? Joe, you're a son to your father, a father to your children, and a pastor to us. There you go. Father's Son, Holy Spirit, all one person. Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The name is Jesus. Acts says they baptize in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this is where we put on their brakes and go, hold on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's not with himself. He's with a separate person that he is facing towards. You haven't justified that. You haven't explained that. You cannot have someone with themselves. They have to be with someone else for this Greek word pros to be correct. And then we show them the baptism. The Father speaking from the clouds, Jesus in the water, the dove coming down. Is this Jesus doing ventriloquism? Is he here speaking up from there and then making a part of himself come here? No, the baptism shows exactly that they are three in one name of Yahweh, not of Jesus. And that's why we were told to baptize like that. So the word pros is very important there as we get to the third part. And the word was God. Everybody say the word was God. Now that we understand that he cannot be with himself, how is he God? Is he God as the person of God the Father, or does God here mean something different? Listen to this as I teach you another Greek principle. The Greek word God, theos, does not have an article before it. Thus, according to grammatical rules, it functions as as a predicate nominative and modifies the word. Everybody say predicate nominative. 
Now, this is very good to know because this disproves both the Sibelianists, as you're now going to see the Arianists, who is the modern-day Jehovah Witness. Have you ever had a Jehovah Witness knock at your door? You're now going to understand how to preach to them the real Jesus. Now, listen to me. Grammatical rules may be hard for all of us, but it's good to understand them. I put a link there for you on the grammatical rule. It's not something Christians have made up. It's an explanation to why we translate words the way we do. Have it like this in your mind. There is a subject in John 1.1. The subject is the word. In the Greek, that is called logos. He is the subject of John 1.1. There then is in the third part a problem because in that part, theos, God, is introduced, but he does not have an article. When he's introduced in the second part and the word was with God, he has an article. It means a direct person. But now in the third part, there is no article. And so now what is going to happen is this is going to act as a adjective or a predicate nominative, a describer of the subject. God is going to be descriptive of the subject of the verse, and the subject of the verse is the word. Everybody say, make it plain. Well, good thing I have a little simply said part right here. Simply said, Theos, God, in this part of the verse, does not refer to the person of the Father mentioned in John 1, 1b, but rather describes the nature of the word, acting as an adjective. The NET version translates this section precisely as the word was fully God. The NET is our best English translation. It is done by Dr. Daniel Wallace and some of the best scholars who are alive. They take this and make it literal for us to understand the Greek nuance here. The word theos is not referring to the same person of John 1b. That is referring to a person known as the Father in John 1c. It's an adjective describing the qualitative nature of the word. The word, as we now know with our our, our, our John 1.18 application, in the beginning was the Son, known as the Word. And the Son of God was with God the Father. And the Son was God like the Father. The Word was fully God. This means that the Word is equal in nature to the Father, but is distinct. Now we run into another problem that the Jehovah Witnesses want to have, is because it doesn't have the article and it doesn't refer to a direct person, they now want to insert the letter A before God in their translation. So if you ever look at the New World Translation, the men who translated Jehovah Witness Bible had no Greek training. They add the letter A before the word God, and this is how it goes in their translation. And the word was a God. Do you see what they've done? They've taken away the defining attribute of the word theos, making it the, um, the, the quality of who the word is, and they've now made the word a separate God. He is a God, a lower, lesser God. But the Bible clearly teaches there is only one God, the Shema of the Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is what? One, one God. How many gods are taught in the Bible from beginning to end? One God. And therefore they teach that Jesus was a created lesser God. However, this false belief is wrong because it teaches polytheism and it rejects the complex nature of John 1, or neglects the context of John 1, 3, which states that the word created all things and without him nothing was made that has been made. Therefore, the word is not in the category of made things because he made all all made things. Now let me just show you these things really quick. Go with me to Isaiah 43.10. Are you understanding why I'm talking really fast right now? 
We're just at what the, uh, the third part now of verse 1. Isaiah 43.10. Now what is unique about this and, and, and actually a bit funny is this is the verse that Jehovah Witnesses get their marching order from. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Now remember I told you they mistranslate into that uh, Jehovah. Jehovah is a, derivat a German derivative of the Hebrew word Yahweh. And remember I told you that it was so sacred that they didn't pronounce it and didn't even write it with the vowels. They only wrote down the consonants which is Y-H-W-H. Do you see that right there? That is that one name that is represented by the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. This is the name that God gave Moses. Are you all with me? So it should be Yahweh witnesses if you want to be correct. We're Yahweh's witnesses. But watch right here. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed. And you know, notice it's a lowercase g God. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. If you talk to a Jehovah Witness, you can say to them, how many gods are there? And they say, oh, there's only one God. Then ask them who Jesus is. Ask them if Jesus is a God. And they go, yeah, he kind of is and he's kind of not. He's, he's like his own kind of God, but he's not God like God Almighty. Just have them go to their very verse. Say, isn't Isaiah 43.10 your marching orders, your Jehovah Witnesses? Here it is. Now watch. Look, no gods formed after me. None. Your inserting of an A before the word God is heresy. It's incorrect grammar, and it produces polytheism. There is not one God creating a bunch of little gods. That's Hinduism. They will try to say to us that Trinity comes from pagan beliefs. That is absolutely untrue. The, the concept of Trinity has never been taught in any other religion except for, for Christianity. There have been triads of gods, and this is what Mormonism actually believes, that the Father is a God, the Son is another God, the Holy Spirit is another God, and there's a plethora of gods. How are gods made? Elohim, the main God, has sex with goddesses and makes other gods. Jesus and Satan are both God's children, and they are spirit brothers. Do your research, and you'll see that's what they believe. That is similar to the triads of gods of the, the triad gods of Hinduism maybe three main ones creating all these other gods Christianity does not teach a triad of gods then there are religions that treats there's one main god and then there's lesser gods that is not what Christianity teaches either that's what Jehovah Witnesses teach the Trinity is a unique doctrine to Christianity alone we believe in one god complex in nature and unity with three divine separate co-eternal co-equal uh, persons there is a difference don't let let them define for you your beliefs. You teach them what you believe. And so you hold them to this. Is there any other gods formed after our God? Of course not. All that was created was created by Jesus. He falls into the category of uncreated things. Now look at this so you can see the second part of that so you can understand. Not only does a God not fit in there, but the next part here in verse 3 says, through him, through who was all things created? Who is that person there? The Word, through Him, Jesus, the Son of God, all things were made. How many things? Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In your mind, make two lines. One category over here, uncreated things. Over here, created things. What alone can be here in the section of uncreated things? God. Has the universe been uncre is the, is the universe uncreated or created? Goes over to created things, right? Everything in the universe, created or uncreated, created, goes over here. What do you have left then? In the beginning, in the beginning, God. God is the only uncreated creator, the only uncaused cause. 
Some people say, well, who created God? Then no one created God. God does not need a creator. He is not a contingent being. He exists all by himself, through himself. This is not illogical. He is the only thing that brings logic into our being. We would not understand laws of logic, science, or any of these things unless there was a mind that could ground them. And if you push it back, push it back, push it back, there can't be nothing that grounds logic and, and metaphysical principles. What grounds it is God. And if God has a beginning, he is not God. It's called the ontological argument. Look it up online. William Lane Craig has it on Facebook. The ontological argument teaches it's impossible to exist without a God that has always existed. Logic is part of his existence. Math, part of his existence. Where was the number two before there was a mind? It was in the mind of God. Where was the law of contradiction before there was ever a person here to understand it? It was always in the mind of God. Before God, there was only God. I mean, before creation, there was only God. When we look to Genesis 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's talking about even the things that God now has in heaven. Angels, created or uncreated, y'all. Angels, Created. The throne of God and what she sits on now, created or uncreated. Heaven itself, created or uncreated. Everything that we see in this entire universe, both spiritual and unspiritual, created or uncreated. What is the one thing that is not created? God. Now watch this. Jesus created all things. Could Jesus then be created? Through him, all things were made. Is there anything left over? What the Jehovah Witness will say is, well, I know it says that, but it really means all other things. He was created first, and then through him, all other things. That's not what it says. It doesn't say God the Father created him, and then through him, all other things after him were created. It says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing. You understand that? Without him, nothing was made that has been made. You cannot have one created thing without Jesus creating it. He is not a created being. Can I hear an amen to that? Now let me help you see this in a way that will be helpful. You should be able to put it together. Let's see if we can put it together in a way before I even give you the summary. Let's see if you can use your mind here. John 1, and then we'll look at John 1.18. Put it together. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now go on down to John 1.18. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, you have to understand, there are no tricks up my sleeve. I just have to talk fast because it's already 2.51, and I'm not even done with verse 1 yet. And I told you this at the very beginning, that I would be going as fast as I possibly could, and you would not feel like I was being repetitive. Have I just been repeating the same, same old thing? I have been going through information as fast as I possibly can talk. And it's not even like I'm trying to get something by on you. I gave you my notes. I've given you the links. You can go back and research it. So there are no tricks here. Don't think I'm some used car salesman going, like, there's a trinity, there's a trinity. Don't think about this as a trinity. No, I'm literally going, think about it. Go back and study. But this is how fast i got to get because i still got a message to preach to you about how this applies to you. And that's in verse 4 and 5, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. How can we now see this as a helpful interpretation? I gave it to you before. I think you can see it now. In the beginning was God, the Son, known as the Word. And God the Son was in close relationship with God the Father. And God the Son was fully divine like God the Father. Does that make sense to you now? That is the context of John 1.1. 1, 1. Now let me just show you something that will blow your mind. This is now where the Sabellianists and the Arianists all get blown up. 
The Sabellianist, who says that God is one person putting on different hats. Sometimes he's a father, sometimes he's a son, but he's the one person. And then the Arianist, who says God is way over here, but he creates Jesus, and then Jesus does all of these things. This verse blows them up. For the Sabellianists, they have a problem here because it says no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God is the closest relationship to the Father has made him known. If the Father and the Son are the same person, that means people have seen God. They have seen God. In Genesis chapter 18, the Bible says the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham. See, now we have a contradiction. If the Father and Son are the same person, do you all see that? It says no one has seen God. What person of God is this referring to in verse 18 that no one has seen? They have not seen the Father. So who comes into Genesis 18 to walk with Abraham? The Son. Who walked with us in the Garden of Eden? The Son. Who appeared to Moses on the mountain when he got the Ten Commandments? The Son. Who appeared to Gideon? The Son. Who was the one like the Son of Man with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? The Son. Who did Isaiah see in Isaiah chapter 6? And he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The Son. And now this is where the Sabellianist has a problem. You see, no one can see the same person that you're claiming they are and see God. That's a problem because it's all the same person. For us as a Trinitarian, it's not a problem. No one's seen the Father, but they've seen the Son, who is himself God. That's what John 1.18 is saying. Now for the Arianists, they have a problem because they believe that Jesus is a lesser created God, that he is not Yahweh. We have a problem here. Bing, bing, bing. It doesn't say Jesus shows up. It says Yahweh shows up, the Lord. The reason why we put it in all caps there is to show that divine name. Yahweh comes. He comes with two angels, a total of three. Um, Abraham makes food for them, washes their feet. They hang out. The two angels take off and go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham stays and talks with the Lord. And then he pleads with ten people to be saved. Ten aren't getting saved. So two angels end up going down and destroying Sodom and Gomorrah because there's not even ten righteous. So it starts off in Genesis 18.1. The Lord meets with Abraham. And then in Genesis 18.33, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. Is there any confusion? The Lord met with who? Abraham. The two other guests are angels because there was three in total. Lord, two angels. Then the two angels leave and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Does everybody see that? Yes or no? The two angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we have another issue that I just want to clarify for you. The Bible always points to Jesus as the God of the Old Testament. Let me just show you right here that Jesus points, uh, that, that the Bible always points to Jesus as the God of the Old Testament. This is who Isaiah saw. I should have had this saved. In John here. Let me go here. Go to John chapter 12, verse 41. Hold your place also at Isaiah 6, 4. John chapter 12, verse 41. Let me back up. Let's, let's go to Isaiah 6, 4 first. It's here on the board. Isaiah 6, let's go into chapter 1. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. In that year King Uzziah died, I saw the who? The Lord, high and exalted, is seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, two wings they covered their feet, two wings they were flying. How many know this is better than the new Power Rangers coming out? And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is who? The Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Did he not say, I saw the Lord? And the Lord there is Yahweh. Look at John. Remember John? 
John always reveals to us the great identity of who Jesus is. John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw whose glory? Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Has there ever been a time when someone has seen the Father? No. Every encounter that man is having with God, who are they seeing? Jesus. Is that my word or is that the Bible's word? Let's read it again. No one has ever seen God. What person of God is it referring to there? The Father, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. How many would like a helpful chart now to see it all together? I went as fast as I could to get through that. Now here is a helpful chart for you to see the differences. Once again, you can err and worship the wrong Jesus by saying Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is not true. The name of the baptism is referring to Yahweh. The Bible teaches us that these three persons are not each other. They are three separate persons. Jesus is not playing uh, ventriloquism at his baptism. Also on the mountain of transfiguration, when the voice says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is not the father. Sabellianism is wrong. Arianism says God the father created the son as a lesser God to use the Holy Spirit as a force. I don't have time to discuss the Holy Spirit, but to the Arianists, Jesus is that lesser God, and the Holy Spirit is not even a person. He is an it, like the force of Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. But in the book of John 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit is given the personal pronoun of he and referred to as a person over and over and over again. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will not speak on his own behalf, but he will speak what he hears from me. And in the book of Acts, it says you lie to him, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is not a force. So not only do they have the Son wrong, they have the Spirit wrong. What is the Bible teaching us in John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word, was the Son of God. And the Son of God was with the Father. And the Son was God like the Father. This revelation teaches us the nature of God. I'm so thankful that John took the time to explain to us the ending of Matthew 28, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful that John took the time to help me understand who the Holy Spirit is in John 14, 15, and 16, and how the Father and Son send the Holy Spirit. That's why the Father and Son are in this example at, at the top and sending the Holy Spirit in that way, because they are the ones who send him. This is your God. This is Jesus. Get this in your heart right now. This is Jesus. You shouldn't be more excited about learning other things in the Bible than you are about learning about Jesus. This is who we worship. If you have God wrong, you're in trouble. You need to understand who Jesus is. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now we'll start moving towards your heart. Did you work your mind? Now let's start moving towards your heart. In John 1-2, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. And the word was God. John 1-2 says he was with God in the beginning. He repeats himself there so that we can clearly understand that the word has pre-existence. That the word is distinct from the Father, not the same person. And that he himself is God. That's why he reiterates himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then we get to John 1, 3. Through him all things were made. Through him. Who is him? Jesus. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. Nothing can be made without him. Right? 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now Paul reinforced this, and I don't have time to get all into it, in Colossians 1.15. He reinforced this. He said, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now in this awesome passage, this is where the Arianists, the Jehovah Witness, will go, see, he's firstborn over all creation. But they don't read the context. He's already told to be the image of the invisible God. This cannot be a mere creature. God does not give his glory to another. This is clear also in Isaiah chapter 43. This is clear. He makes no other God. He gives his glory to no one. But now watch what happens here. For in him all things were created. See, even if they try to say he's firstborn, he's created in that sense, then Paul contradicts himself. Because in verse 16 he says, For in him all things were created. Things in where? Heaven or on earth? Is there anything else left? All things in heaven, all things on earth. Is there another place to be? Visible or invisible? Whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The type of honor Jesus gets, no secondary God could ever get. This would be blasphemy, idolatry, strictly reserved for paganism. Now we get to know what it means he's the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things. So there's nothing before him. If there's the Father before him, then he's not before all things. He is before everything. He's in the, cre he's in the uncreated category. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from where? Among the dead. How is he the firstborn of all creation? Because he is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the only one to have died, resurrected, to never die again. Lazarus, resurrected, still will die again. Did not have his glorified body. He is the only one to have resurrected from the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him. Does everybody see that great theology there? You see, all things, whether in heaven or on earth, came from Jesus. Therefore, he cannot be a created thing. He has created all things. He came as the second Adam. Only two people got to start in human history with a perfect body. That was Adam and Jesus. Adam blew it. Jesus then did it right. That's why when he died, he raised again. He was a blameless, perfect sacrifice. Death could not hold him down. He was an innocent man. If you see the line which in the wardrobe about Aslan and how he dies, there's a great illustration there. The innocent one cannot die under God's justice. That's why when his body died, he had to be raised to be justified lest God be unjust. Only sinners die physically. But how did Jesus die? He said, I did not. No one took my life. I gave it up. Jesus willingly laid down his life so he could be a sacrifice, but his body could not be in the grave. That's why he says, you have not abandoned your Holy One, your Messiah, to the grave. You have not abandoned him. You raised him to justify that he was sinless. He was perfect. He was our sacrifice. So Jesus willingly laid down his life. If Jesus did not willingly lay down his life, he could have lived forever without death upon this earth because his body was sinless. This is why we have to always go to the Muslim who says, I believe in the virgin birth, but I don't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Why was Jesus, out of all the other prophets, all the other people, born of a virgin? What makes him so special? It's because God now comes into earth. 
Now, here's the thing that people get confused about when it comes to God dying on the cross. They say, well, God died on the cross. Who was God? Now, this is a part of their problem. They think we say the Father died on the cross. When Jesus died, the Father is still in heaven. Hello, somebody's not the Father. That is a rebuttal towards the Sabellianist who believes it's all one person. But then it's also a misunderstanding of death. When we say God died for us, we don't mean his immortal being. When you were created, everybody watch me here. When you were created, you were created immortal and placed in a body at the same time. At conception, your immortal soul, which will now live forever, was placed in a body. When your body dies, does your immortal soul die? No, it doesn't. Does your immortal spirit die? The moment this dies, you are still conscious in the afterlife. The mind different than the brain. You separate from your body. You are an immortal soul. Here's the difference. Jesus from eternity has always been God, and he came into the flesh for a time, and when flesh was dead, he still was God, and he came back to his flesh and resurrected. So God in nature never died. Just like humanity in nature never dies, only your body dies. Do you understand the difference? Teach every Muslim you know that because they keep thinking that God and his divinity died. Now they then will say, well did God stop being God when he became a man? You can't be a square circle or a married bachelor. No. Listen to me. That's a false argument against our belief. Would you stop being a human if you put on a space suit to go to the moon? No. You would now be a space man. Did God ever stop being God when he came in the flesh? No. He became the God man. God took on flesh like you would put on an earth suit. When, we, when he died, flesh died, not his divinity. Just like when you die, your soul doesn't die. Does everybody understand the difference? This is who our God is. As you know who God is, you'll know who you are. You were made in his image. Now somebody look at your neighbor and say, let's get ready for the message. I got to get you to the message, verses 4 and 5, because this is the heart. This is the heart here. So John tells us that in him, in the word, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That means that Jesus is the very one who formed us of the dust of the earth and breathed life into us. Isn't it something that at the end of the Gospel of John, after Jesus raises from the dead, John includes a part of Jesus' farewell address that the other three did not include, and that is this. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What we had lost and received spiritual death, what we had, we had gotten the curse instead of the blessing. Jesus takes the curse to give us the blessing. The whole Gospel of John is trying to tell you you messed this up, but he had a plan the whole time. You brought sin, but he brought sacrifice. You brought death, but he brought life. You brought darkness, but he brought light. And that's why he says, for God so loved the world that he gave the Son. In, in, in the idea of John and what is factual and true, but as John paints this picture, it's, like, it's almost like a movie. He is telling you that this awesome person, that these signs are going to confirm as we get into, this awesome person is more than just a man. He's the God-man. He is the very creator dying for his creation. That's the great love of God. And the great love of God is that you would have life and that you weren't supposed to have death. I don't know how true this is, but it rang true as I heard it. A man said he had a, a, you know, one of those out-of-body death experiences, and he said one of the things he noticed about heaven was the smell was different because on this earth we're, we're, we're so accustomed to death. 
We don't understand. We smell the death of animals. We smell the, we smell, uh, smell the death of, of, of plants. We smell the death of everything that's around us, our skin. It's always falling off. There's just death and bacteria all around us. And he said when he was in heaven, there was no death, and the smell was distinctly different. What is it going to be like when we're in that place again with Jesus with no death? And you see, he brings life. Trees were never meant to die. The Bible says in the new earth when he makes them again, their leaves will never, uh, never die. We'll just take the leaves and eat them as vegetables, you know, as a little like lettuce and their fruit, and we will live forever. We will eat of that tree of life and never die. The, there will never be a night again. There will never be a tear again. There will never be pain again. Are you listening to me? All of this comes back from the curse. And so John is starting right here at the beginning going, this one that was from the beginning, this one who created everything, he breathed into us. And that breath became our life, our living conscious soul that made us who we are. Look at Genesis 2, 7. It says, the Lord God formed of man, uh, formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living being. What, a, the Bible says, what is man that you are mindful of and the son of man that you care for him? Oh, that we would just understand the great love that God has for us, that we were made distinctly different than the animal kingdom. We were made to be the imago Dei, the image of God. As Jesus is the image of the Father, we are the image of Jesus. Let that just blow your mind. Somebody tweet that for me, please. As Jesus is the image of the Father, we are the image of Jesus. You can now look back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, in light of John 1 through 5, and get this as a part of the creation narrative. God the Father said, let us, the Trinity, make mankind in our image, three persons sharing one nature, complex unity, in our likeness with free will and authority. So God the Son created mankind in his own image, in the image of the triune God. He, Jesus, created them male and female, two persons. He created them. God the Son blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, the third person and increase in number. I just wonder if anybody wants to take a prayer walk today and meditate on these things. You say, Pastor, how do you memorize Scripture like the way I do? I memorize it taking my prayer walks. Just thinking about this. Man, God made me in His image. He made the human race to reflect His complex unity. He made me a conscious being to reflect His light. He gave me breath to reflect His life. And then we get to John 1.5, which to me is just one of the greatest passages of Scripture you'll ever read. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light, it shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus gave mankind the light of human conscience. This light of self-awareness. God's existence and morality cannot be extinguished in us, even because of sin, because we were made in the very image of God. And I wish I had time, and I didn't, in first, nor in second, to go over Romans chapter 1 and all of these passages where Paul teaches that though men reject God's light and hide themselves like in a dark closet of their sin, and they deny His existence, even there in their darkest, deepest place of hatred towards God or sin towards humanity, a person like a Hitler, he still cannot extinguish the light of his consciousness because Christ put a thumbprint on him to know his creator 
or to know her creator. And if they don't turn towards their conscience, towards the light, and step out of that darkness and receive Christ on judgment day, their conscience will condemn them that every man knew better. That in the stillness of the night when you lay down, you knew you didn't create yourself. You knew no matter how much science and philosophy you knew, you knew that nothing does not create something and that contradictions cannot be true. Mind does not come from matter. And so on judgment day, every light that we had will be used against us to judge us. All the thoughts that we used to disprove our God will be used against us because it was fighting against a God that we knew existed. And yet God says when sinners are convicted by the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your conscience, speaking to the airways of the light that God placed in you so that you could hear the Holy Spirit and hear the conviction through your conscience and know that we all have sinned. Something that's not right, as C.S. Lewis said, no matter who you are, even the greatest atheist, knows something here doesn't feel right. And if you don't believe me, take a bus ride. It just don't feel right. Something in humanity is missing. And even when we try to give it all of our, our anthropological, uh, anthropological, whatever, the anthro anthropological issues, all of our things, it doesn't explain why humanity is still hurting. Say the word for me again. Anthropological, all about man. Sociological, all about man. We still can't explain why it's not right. But listen to what the Bible says. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you admit your sinfulness, you receive the light of God's word, and you become children of the light. Next week's message is going to be on that passage to as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. He said, you are the light of the world. Now the application of our passage is this. Jesus is both God and our Savior. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus created, was not created rather, but created everything. Jesus created mankind in his own image and gave us his life. Jesus gave mankind an inner conscience to know good from evil. And as we will learn further on in John, Jesus died for the sins of all mankind so they can freely choose to commit to him. And lastly, Jesus will transform our inner nature so that he can bring us into a relationship with the Father if we believe in him. Because isn't that the center of John's gospel? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him, just believes, can't work himself out of the darkness, just has to believe in the light for it to turn on. If he believes in him, he shall not perish. He shall not be abandoned into the darkness. He shall not go to hell in the lake of fire with the devil and his angels forever, time without end. But he shall have eternal life, zoe, life, life without end the God kind of life, an experience beyond this temporary life, an experience of total bliss, pleasures forevermore, knowing God and experiencing him face to face. Can I get the band to come, please, with the altar call song? How many learned something today from John 1? Amen. In the beginning. In the beginning was the word. I want to close out with this today because I believe now we can really get to the heart of the matter because I want to speak to your hearts. I'm going to wait for Rachel to get up here and do this thing, but I want you to hear me today. This passage of Scripture will last longer than all of us. Make time to read it this week. This passage of Scripture, listen to me, has blessed you so greatly right now. Imagine what it will do when you go by yourself and start reading it. 
you think you need more other kinds of scriptures. That's not true for right now. You need to know about more who God is. Some of you think, well, just give me more to-do stuff. I make a lot of messages practical. I know that's true. But listen to me. You need to study and know God because the more you know him, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more you'll serve him. The problem with some of your lifestyles is that you, it's not that you don't know the commandments. You know the commandments. You don't know the God who gave them. You, you know that there's a command that says don't look at another woman because it's lust. But you don't know the God who said that. You haven't looked at him face to face. And that's why you're wrestling with it. So if you know God more, you'll know sin less. God will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from God. Isn't that something? Think about this as I read this off, and then we're going to get ready to pray. Would you dim the lights, please? Before your beginning, Jesus was there in the beginning. Before your spiritual death, Jesus was your life. Before you had problems, Jesus was your solution. Before you were living in darkness, Jesus was your light. And before you needed a Savior, Jesus was your sacrifice. I want you to close your eyes right now and I want you to think about what we've just learned and ask yourself, how well do I know the Word today? The living Word of God. How well do I know Him? Close your eyes with me right now and think about the word. What have you learned today? What have you learned today about our God? What have you learned about him? Has he blown your mind today? Has he taken off the veil of limitations? Have you begun to see him in a new way? Now as Jerry comes quickly, I want you to start to think to yourself, what darkness has tried to blind me from Jesus. Would someone move this table for me, please? Come on. What darkness has tried to blind me from seeing who Jesus really is? Is it false theology? Is it false beliefs? Is it my hurt, my pain? What has taken me away from the light of Jesus? Would you dim the light on the stage for me, please? Because we're going to sing this song over our hearts today. We're going to confess the word today over our lives that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. And we're going to believe that whatever is keeping you and I from seeing the word is going to disappear in the light of God today. Just a few moments, they're going to start singing on their own. But I want you to pray right now on your own right now. What darkness is trying to keep you from the light? Just a few more moments. We're going to stand and sing this, but I want you to focus on Jesus. Jesus. 
Nothing can keep us from the light of God. Amen. Would you please stand up with me, please? Listen. We're going to close out. Altar workers, come quickly. But listen, I know we've gone late, but please hear my heart today. Thank you for staying to hear this. But here, it will mean nothing unless you get this last part right now. Do you believe that God's light can overcome your darkness? Can, can God's light overcome the darkness of sickness and disease today? Like Jerry testified at the beginning of service, her son, uh, her brother rather dying of cancer, went to meet Jesus. But as he was going through the surgeries, he believed that Jesus was bigger than his cancer. Can you believe today that Jesus is bigger than the darkness of sin? Maybe you're struggling today with something that you repeatedly, uh, you know, just keep doing over and over and over again. Do you believe that the light of God is greater? Th this is why, do you, do you get it? This is why we, we say Chicago for Jesus. This is why we believe Chicago can change. Do you understand? There is no darkness that his light cannot expel. Light always overcomes darkness. So how will we change the schools? More programs, more police? No. Jesus will shine his light in young people, in the gang members, and light will overcome darkness. How will the light overcome? Or how will we overcome bad marriages or broken families or, or poverty, not having enough? Light? Light. Jesus' light overcomes poverty, overcomes trouble in the marriage, overcomes bitterness, overcomes what people have done to you. Just like you heard Christian testify about the hurt he had. Why is we as Christians can say Jesus loves you, has a plan for your life? Because we know the moment they let him in, the moment they let Jesus into their heart, darkness goes. Light overcomes darkness. Light overcomes my darkness, your darkness, whatever pain you have, have experienced in life. And, and why, is it, why is it Jesus taught us to pray this way? By faith. Because you don't see it now. You don't see it now. But my friends, the one who created everything knows what he can do. Trust him. That's why he said, if, if you speak to this mountain, you could tell it to cast into the sea. Why? Because the one who spoke the existence of the entire universe, including mountains, can give you the word to speak it and have it go jump in the lake. What is the mountain to God? What is it? Particles? Everything is made of subatomic particles. What is that to God but dust? <sighs> mountain, go back into the sea. <sighs> We watch these sci-fi movies and the decimation that these alien creatures do. And we get all caught up with these superheroes. And we have no idea. Listen to what God says. In the beginning, before there was ever a superhero, before there was ever even a star, before there was even a planet for Superman to come from, I was there. I was there. I create planets, God says. God says, I create uni the universe. I create people. I create animals. I even created this fallen devil, this fallen angel named Lucifer. I have all the power. And yet with all the power of Jesus, all the power of the world that sustains everything, he said he won't force himself into your heart. He won't put his light up in your face and make you take it. He said, you have to believe and receive it. As many as receive him, he gives to them the right to become children of God. Does anybody here want to receive light 
over darkness. Does anybody here want to receive healing in the place of sickness? Plans in the, in the, in the place of hopelessness. Joy in the midst of despair. And let me tell you, whatever I don't receive or you don't receive in this life, you will receive a hundredfold in the life to come. Every promise will be fulfilled. Everything we have hoped for will come to pass. Let me just keep you a few more moments and say this because I know sometimes it's hard for us to believe how it all ends. But listen, is not the same way it began just as great of a miracle to believe like how it will end? Let me just tell it to you like this. There's already something here, folks. Why is there something rather than nothing? Where, why why is all, there already galaxies beyond even where we can reach? Why is there already a universe beyond where we can go? You know, some people say we're, late, we're waiting for aliens or this or that. Have you ever just looked at nature? And what God's creation does, you see the living power of God in everything you do. The very fact of your brain. Now listen to me. If God could create it all one time, you're telling me he can't recreate it again? People think of heaven like it's a joke, like it's, oh, you guys believe in it. They have no idea. How do you think this God here, the same God that brought it here the first time, is going to bring it again the second time? And he's saying, let my light shine through your darkness. Let my light shine through your pain. Trust me, I got you. Let my light shine through your disappointment. Let my light shine through your moments of despair and doubt. Let my light shine. The light of God will guide us and take us all the way home. Amen? Take us all the way home. We'll be with Him one day. We'll see Him face to face. We'll be like, oh, I get it now. There's the Father. You're sitting at His side. And here's the Holy Spirit. We're experiencing and hearing Him, speaking to Him, right? We'll see Him. But right now, we take it by faith. And aren't we happy that we do get a taste of it? How many can taste and see even right now the Lord is good? Amen. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask that Amy would come, David's wife, and, and close us out in prayer. Sister, come on up here. And if you need any prayer today for anything, anything you would consider darkness or bad, come on up here and let us pray for you. And if you want to just testify to one of us here today, maybe you didn't get a chance before, let us know because we love hearing those testimonies. And, of course, the after-party ladies will be here. You guys going to sing? You going to sing with all your passion? Yes. Amen. I know you guys can. Thank you. Would you just pray for us today? Father God, we just thank you for, for, for everything, for your gift, for your son, for the freedom to come together here today, Father, and just to worship you and to know more about how you want to reach us, how you want us to know you deeper, that, that you are always there for us, Father, and that regardless of what how we may ignore you throughout the week or we don't come close to you, Father, that is, you always give us that choice and that you spoke so boldly and so clearly through our pastor today, Father. Thank you so much for, for that word, Father, because it is very encouraging. I know that not just for myself, Father, but that you are always there trying to reach out to us, Father, and just to comfort us and, and to, for us to know how much you love us, how important we are. And that we may not get distracted with what everything that the world says and, and every and all the other problems, Father, that you created everything, that there is nothing that you cannot do. Father, thank you so much for, once again, for, for this word today. And that we may all go home safe and that we may take this word and have it in our mind and in our hearts the rest of the week, Father. Amen.
Let's give it up for Jesus. We love you, Lord. The Word of God. Slap your high five and say, God is good. Come and join us if you can. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Have a great week. Come on, let's sing it out today. Not overcoming. The light shines in the darkness. Come on, in the darkness.